Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. My name is Esteban Bailey, and I'm joined today with Ori Benatar. How you doing, Ori? Doing good, Esteban. Great World Cup. It's our finale of our Road to Moscow series. Not the end of the Top Flight Podcast, but an end to this is our what 43rd episode of the Road to Moscow. It's been a it's been a wild ride. We started this in May, and now we're here. France are world champions. Well, we did predict that. Uh, we did predict that on our final uh, preview podcast for the World Cup. I mean, we had a Spain-France final, but uh, we didn't get Spain, but we did kind of pick it from that part of the bracket. Uh, it's still surprising that Croatia got so far and did so well in this tournament. But like we thought, France had the most talented team in this tournament. They were probably the best team of this tournament, and as we've known for the last you know, however many years, usually the best team at the World Cup wins the World Cup. So how, you know, you, you think they're, France is a worthy champion? Yeah, France is the worthy champion. I felt that they were the best team. Had an easy group, kind of didn't play the flair and flashy style we thought we were going to see from them when we expected them to just trounce Peru or really beat Australia down. But some pretty easy wins there. They got the job done in the group, and then once they played Argentina and Kylian Mbappe just broke through and showed the world that he might be the next best greatest football player after Ronaldo and Messi retire and when Neymar gets a little older and Mbappe may be the future of the sport that Argentina game kind of really showed us how good this French team can be easy win over Uruguay simple win over Belgium and they showed some flair today first two goals a little on the lucky side with the own goal and the penalty but their stars showed up and I think that's the biggest difference between you know the four teams that made the semifinals of this World Cup they made it because their stars showed up France Croatia Belgium and England all had their best players perform to to their highest potential for the most part France being the best of the bunch and I think the this final showed how many great French players there are and how many of them can score goals Griezmann Pogba and Mbappe all scoring in this incredible World Cup final yeah I mean 
you know, it's an interesting thing about this French team. It seemed that for the majority of the games, they would just sleep, make sure that they're defensively solid, you know, make sure there's no kind of leakage at the back. And then for these weird 10-minute, 20-minute stretches, they just completely dominate the opponent, getting two or three goals in, the, in those minutes, and then just completely putting the game away. We saw that against Argentina. We saw that today against Croatia. I mean, it, you know, even when they were playing against Uruguay and Belgium, they would have these stretches where they were just completely dominating. They would get their goal and they would just shut down uh, the opposition, which is a pretty, you know, that's that's the formula to win any kind of tournament. And it's just surprising considering that this French team, you know, I w- we were both very high on them. We thought they were going to do very well at this tournament, but a lot of people thought that this team might be too young. They were maybe only a semifinal potentially. Um, I mean, they were the second youngest team to go to this tournament behind Nigeria. So it's pretty incredible that this could be the start of a new international team dynasty, like like Spain in the mid to late uh, 2000s. And of course, the French team from 98 and 2000. So it's a pretty interesting time to be a French fan. I think this could be the start of something really special. I agree. It's, it's going to be the start of something special. France is going to go into the UEFA Nations League as the clear favorites, playing Germany on September the 6th. What a game that's going to be to bring us back to competitive international football. But the thing about this France World Cup win that's interesting, over the past probably you know four World Cups, you think of the winners and you always think they have players that this is their last ride. This is their their final hurrah. 2002 with Brazil, you had Cafu, his last World Cup. You know, in 2006, you had Italy with Fabio Cannavaro, sort of, you know, this was his moment. He, he was the veteran of the team. 2010, you had Carlos Puyol. He was kind of the veteran of Spain. And in Germany, 2014, you had, you know, Paramerdesacker, Philipp Lahm, a lot of these guys who played in a lot of World Cups and finally got over this hump. I don't think a single player on this French team is even close to getting to retirement for international or club football, and they're years away from that. So this France team could once again create another dynasty. When they won the World Cup in 1998, they went to Euro in Belgium, Holland, won it there, and then they collapsed in the World Cup in 2002. This team might be different. Didier Deschamps is a good leader. He keeps his team disciplined, and this team feeds off of each other's talents, and you also have Kylian Mbappe at 19 years old he's going to be scary when he's 21. He's going to be scary when he's 20. I mean, this guy has the potential to be the best player in the world when he is in his prime, even before his prime. Yeah, I mean, Arsene Wenger has compared him to Pele, and it's maybe possible. The only teenager to ever just completely dominate a World Cup on this stage uh, and win it is Pele back in the 1958 World Cup in Sweden uh, and when Brazil won. This is very interesting. Kylian Mbappe clearly was the story of this tournament. However, you know, even though we're giving our due props to France and they are incredible and this could be something that could be generationally defining. This was also one of the greatest World Cups of my lifetime. I think it was probably one of the greatest World Cups of your lifetime. It's just so this was such a fun World Cup with great moments, so much unpredictability. I I want to talk a little bit about some of the best and worst moments from this World Cup. If you could give me like what were your some of your favorite moments from Russia 2018? Well, I think it got off to a great start. I mean, first off, that first game, Russia beating Saudi Arabia 5-0, no one expected that. And that was kind of nice to see, you know, a destruction. Vladimir Putin sort of smirking at the Saudi prince was kind of fun. But this World Cup really kick-started with that Cristiano Ronaldo hat-trick against Spain. That was an incredible game, lived up to all the hype. Then we saw the stoppage times winners. We started to see VAR. 
From the group stage, I felt the Portugal-Spain 3-3 draw was probably my favorite game, but the way that the groups ended was unbelievable. The group stage itself was just incredible. Groups B, D, F, and H all ended crazy fashion. You had, you know, the tiebreaker with Japan and Senegal, Germany getting knocked out of the group stage for the first time in 80 years, Argentina saving their their skin in the last second against Nigeria, and then Spain and Portugal flip-flopping spots because of VAR. And the knockout stage, it just got up to another level. Mbappe dominating Argentina, Cavani dominating Ronaldo in Portugal, that Belgium-Japan game, unbelievable, amazing upset by Russia, Almost get it done against Croatia. England winning a penalty shootout. Who thought that was going to happen? Nice to see them have a good tournament, get to the semifinals. Nice to see Belgium get over the hump of Brazil and finish in third place. So there were a lot of incredible moments. And it's great that we finished off the tournament with a good taste in our mouths. That was the best final I've ever watched. It was end-to-end. It was dramatic. It was tons of action. And even the trophy ceremony was fun to watch. You had the one guy holding the umbrella over Putin. Nobody else had an umbrella. Everyone was getting drenched on. And seeing the presidents of France and Croatia kind of, you know, embracing the players and really showing their their passion and emotion. It was an amazing thing to see. So this was easily the greatest World Cup in my book, despite the fact the United States didn't make it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that even though the United States did not make it to the World Cup, the United States was still buzzing with this tournament. Everybody was still watching it. People were still engaged. I mean, obviously, everyone listening to this has been very engaged, and it's been so much fun to experience with everyone. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I, I, I didn't expect this World Cup to be so fun. I didn't expect all these teams to be so well-prepared and ready to go. I mean, even teams that didn't even make it out of the group stage, like Peru, Nigeria, Senegal, these teams still played with so much passion, and their fans were so wonderful to see in Russia. We were worried about what could have happened in this country. We were worried about potential hooliganism. We were worried about all the political backdrop that could maybe taint our enjoyment of this World Cup. But ultimately, the games were all that mattered. The games were the things that we were really tuning in for, and we felt the drama, and we felt how important this this little stupid game that we played for 90 minutes, how important it was to people all over the world, and it was just a resounding success. Qatar 2022 has a big uh, hole to fill, so this is going to be... I, I just I, I can't say enough about this. But, you know, let's go through some of the superlatives. I think this, yes, this is definitely probably the best final we've seen this century, for sure. I mean, 2002 was 2-0 Brazil, pretty simple, even because that Germany team wasn't supposed to be there. 2006, that uh, Italy, France goes to penalties. Dramatic, but not exactly the most entertaining. 2010 and 2014 were both 1-0 victories in stoppage time based off of one small midfielder scoring a goal in the final minutes. Uh, entertaining in, in drama, but not exactly entertaining on the play. But today, Croatia, you have to give your hats off to them. They were spectacular. Luka Modric winning the golden ball. He was unbelievable this tournament, leading that you know, frisky Croatian team all the way to the final. And, you know, honestly, they played better than France in the final. I mean, they had a higher possession. They had more shots. They were really dangerous. But France just had that level of quality that just lifted them up to becoming world champions. But let's go into some of what was your favorite goal for this World Cup? My best goal of the tournament has got to be the Pavard strike against Argentina. And there are a lot of good goals in this World Cup. I mean, we had 169 of them. Only one game ended scoreless the entire tournament, which to me is insane. How insane is that? 63 of the 64 games had at least a goal. But my favorite out of the bunch is Benjamin Pavard against Argentina. That strike was beautiful, and it was a big clutch goal because that got France 
tied to, with Argentina. After Argentina was up 2-1, we're like, oh my God, are France going to lose to this horrible Argentina team? Nope. After that Pavard goal, you're like, France is running away with this. And they did. So besides the technique and the finish, it was a big goal for France that kind of lifted them and got the rocket going forward to winning their second World Cup. Oh, it was a truly magnificent strike, especially from Pavard. I don't think anybody would have expected a player like him to score what probably was the best goal of the tournament. My favorite goal of the tournament is not technically a single strike, but an entire move. The counterattack goal by Belgium against Japan in the round of 16 to finish the game off with 30 seconds left was unbelievable. It was like watching the old Invincibles from Arsenal in the early 2000s. It was just so incredible. Uh, of course, Lukaku's dummy, De Bruyne's passing, Mounier's charging up the wing, and of course, Nasser Chadley's simple but sublime finish to finish off the Japanese. Oh, my goodness. And to cap off what was an incredible comeback, the first 2 0 uh, comeback since 1978 from West Germany or 1982. I mean, it's truly uh, what an amazing goal. And I know it's a little bit of cheating because obviously it wasn't, it didn't have the technique of a Pavard goal or maybe even Nacho, who would have been another person that I want to talk about for maybe favorite individual goal. But that Belgian team had so many beautiful counterattacks, and I think that was the best of them all. Um, but let's talk about some who is your favorite, or who do you think was the best player? Do you think Luka Modric deserved to win the Golden Ball? I think Luka Modric did deserve. I thought that Paul Pogba and N'Golo Kante did not get their just due. I felt that one of them should have gotten either the silver or the bronze. But Hazard was great. He got the silver ball. I don't understand why Griezmann's getting the bronze ball. I mean, he scored four goals, but three of them were penalties, sort of like, you know, how Harry Kane got his golden boot. But I didn't think that Griezmann was France's best player. I felt that Pogba was. Slightly over Conte because Pogba had a good final and Conte got subbed off early and got a card and he was actually losing possession in the final. The one game that France, the most important game for France is actually N'Golo Conte's worst game of the tournament. So, I mean, Luka Modric deserves it. And the real question is now is how does this change the Ballon d'Or voting? I think now you have to have Ronaldo, Modric and Messi as your top three. But do you pick Modric over someone like Ronaldo? Because you have Ronaldo leading his team to the Champions League, Modric getting Croatia to the World Cup final, and then you got Messi who led the league in goals You know, for the 2017-18 uh, club season. But Modric is now in the running for the Ballon d'Or. But I, th I think, you know, Modric deserved it. I thought Pogba was the best player in the tournament because I always like to pick someone who is from the winning team, but Modric deserved the the award also. He was great. Yeah, I think he was spectacular. I mean, Kylian Mbappe would also was just such a you know, spark plug for that French team. I don't think they would have won this World Cup without him. I know, obviously, he scored some very important goals against Argentina, but just in general, his ability down the wings, his one-on-one -on -one technical uh, dribbling was just incredible. He was such a constant danger, and the Croatians were, especially in this final, even though he, he scored the goal, he may not have been as effective as he was in previous games, but he's just he's so scary as a player you're so terrified when he's on the ball because you know he can do something special um i'd also want to pick out maybe uh eden hazard he was he was i don't think he was going to win the golden ball obviously he said that he should uh because you know he's a talented footballer and you got to have confidence in yourself but he was also really spectacular this tournament he didn't score that many goals but even though he it was him and de bruyne that were just making that really talented belgian team click and he was spectacular against brazil i mean he didn't score but he was the guy that was the outlet when they were doing the counter counterattacks against Brazil he was just unbelievable this tournament and maybe he might parlay that into a Real Madrid move who knows now that Ronaldo's in Juventus but uh you know speaking on that Luka Modric discussion I do think that he should win the Ballon d'Or because uh 
even though Ronaldo did lead Real Madrid to the Champions League final, Luka Modric was an important part of that Real Madrid team. He was an important cog to that midfield that was just dominating teams throughout the Champions League knockout stages. Also, Luka Modric actually did take his team to the World Cup final. Ronaldo, the best he could do is go to the round of 16. And while he was in a tough group and he had to play Uruguay and Croatia's route was not as difficult, you still got to make it. And Modric was the guy that made that team tick. Without him, I don't think Croatia may have gotten out of the group stage. I mean, Rakitic is a fine player, but Modric was really just that playmaker. But uh, what about some players that were not in consideration for the golden ball that you want to like give some highlight to, that they were just really good and maybe they can take it to another level on a bigger club? Uh, I think Harry Maguire deserves some serious uh, shout-outs. He was, in my opinion, England's best player. He was tremendous. Kieran Trippier and Jordan Pickford, also fantastic. I felt that England's defense was way better than England's attack throughout the entire tournament. So Harry Maguire is going to be on a big team one day. Uh, special consideration, I think, maybe to uh, Andres Gronkvist of Sweden and even Victor Lindelof. They both played great in defense. Denis Shiroshev was awesome for Russia. No one in Brazil that really popped out for me. I thought Coutinho was good in the really good in the group stage, was probably the best player through the group stage, but Brazil kind of played two, you know, subpar games in the knockout phase. Uh, Thibaut Courtois, Golden Glove winner, best goalie in the tournament. He did awesome. Um, Got to shout him out. Diego Godin was really good for Uruguay. Kasper Schmeichel, I'm just looking at the teams in the round of 16 and just seeing who did really well. Kasper Schmeichel was awesome. And then I got to, you know, give it to Yeri Mina, who I felt was the breakout player of this tournament. Slightly over Mbappe, because Mbappe we knew about. He burst onto the scene really with Monaco and that incredible Champions League run scoring in like every single knockout game whereas Yuri Mina yes he's a Barcelona center back but he doesn't play for them he looks like he could be going to Everton and playing in the EPL uh Herving Lozano had a good World Cup Messi and Ronaldo I don't think this was Ronaldo's best World Cup even though he had the four goals I still think 06 was his best Messi was disappointing Argentina was disappointing but I think if I had to pick the top five players from this tournament I would say Modric, Hazard, Pogba, Mbappe, and then a tie between Conte and Harry Maguire. I like the Harry Maguire pick. I think he was really, really special this tournament. He just embodied that kind, that England team so well. It's just the awkward-looking guy that you just think is a physical, like you know, freak, and he's just not going to let people, you know, he's physical, but he's actually really good on the ball, and he was slightly very surprising. Uh, that England team really inspired a lot of England uh, people and the English uh, with his performance. It's their best uh, finish since 1990. I think this might be the start of something special for England. It might be the start of something special for France. You know, there's, it's interesting because I think let's move into a little bit about uh, way too early kind of Qatar 2022 thoughts uh, because, you know, there's some teams out there that have some interesting prospects and their performances at this World Cup should be maybe taken with a little bit of, you know, a little grain of salt. But, like, they are – there is some future there. Like, obviously, we spoke about France. England, they won the U20 World Cup, the U19 World Cup. They were semifinalists in the U21 Euros. They seem to have a lot of talent in the pipeline, and they're already a very young and talented team. Most of their players are going to be within their primes by the 2022 World Cup. Harry Kane will be in his prime, Raheem Sterling. All these players are going to be still pretty good. Maybe not as good as or talented as the French team, but you never know. Do you want to maybe uh, pick out some team that you think with their younger players coming in or maybe the current players that were at this World Cup with four extra years experience might become a real kind of contender for 2022. 
I mean, England's the obvious choice. If there's one player that I would think wasn't in this World Cup that I think will be amazing in the next one, Ryan Sessegnon from Fulham. He is definitely going to be on that England squad in Qatar in 2022. He's probably going to be starting at left wing, in my opinion. And I think he's going to help England really start to develop some really good attacking flair and good creativity. He's a creative player. He can defend on that left side. I think England are going to be really good in 2022. France and Belgium, for me, are the obvious favorites. I don't think Croatia is going to have a run like this again. Modric and Rakitic are at their prime, getting towards you know the later years of their career. Croatia doesn't have much youth in the pipeline. I will be writing an article, way too early predictions for Qatar, which will include you know sort of what I have, but I did a simulation on Football Manager 2018 of the World Cup. Not going to reveal who the winner of that is, but you also have to look at the teams that weren't at this World Cup to make some noise at the next one. The likes of Italy have some good young talent, especially Gianluigi Donnarumma, who could be the next Buffon. Uh, you also got, um, you know, Florenzi and Bellotti. and, you know, the yeah, Andrea a lot yeah, a lot of good players on Italy. They could be good in Qatar after missing out this World Cup. I don't see much from Holland. The United States maybe could have a decent tournament if Christian Pulisic turns out to be, you know, the god of American soccer, like everyone talks about him like. So, I mean, I would say just looking right now, France, Belgium, England, I would I would pick as my top three favorites. Yeah, I think, I, I think South, that's fair. Yeah, South America needs a lot to change. I mean, Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay and Colombia, they got to get their acts together because four straight World Cups in Europe, they're going to have to take that away at some point. And right now, I don't see Brazil maybe is the only non-European team that could win the World Cup. I don't think Argentina has a chance. No one from CONCACAF, Africa, or Asia is going to have any sort of talent to win a World Cup in the next at least 15 years probably. So... I still think it's going to be a European team unless we finally see Brazil play like that 2002 team that just dominated in South Korea, Japan. Well, we have to say that Qatar is going to be the uh, first World Cup in Asia and also the first World Cup in the Middle East ever, but the first World Cup in Asia since 2002 when Brazil last won. And as we saw in 2002, it was a very strange World Cup. We had a lot of upsets. We had a lot of strange occurrences. France didn't get out of the group stage. Germany, which was very inexperienced, and they weren't ready for the final. Uh, they made it to the final. The United States made it to the quarterfinals. It was their best ever result. We might get a really weird World Cup, but I, you know, to speak about some other teams that maybe have a chance in 2022 or they have some young prospects on the way, I actually think Argentina might be much improved for 2022. This current generation, which was too old to come to this World Cup, is going to get phased out. Dybala might become a more of a focal point for the Argentinian national team with Messi starting to decline in his powers, most likely. We're not sure. He's kind of superhuman, but most likely. Um, Colombia, James, might be, he might be at his most physical peak. He'll be 29, I believe, in the next World Cup, so it might be their last chance. Mina and Davison Sanchez will probably be at their uh, physical primes as well. Um, Uruguay has a very talented young midfield with Torreira, Betancourt, uh, Vecino. They may not have Cavani and Suarez, which will probably, you know, lessen their chances to maybe win the World Cup or even go farther than they did this time. But they still have a lot of young talent. Um, but I want to focus a little bit about, like, the United States. The United States didn't make it to 2018. We all know this. It was sad, but it didn't, ha you know, it didn't harm the our enjoyment of the World Cup. But there's a lot of young players coming through the U.S. pipeline that I think we're all really excited for. Timothy Weah is a player at PSG. He's starting to get minutes. He's very young. He was very exciting in the U-20 World Cup. He could be one of the best uh, attackers in United States football history if you know he keeps going on this trajectory. Him and Pulisic could be really terrors down the wing, and if you have two really good wingers on your team, 
that can really take you a long way. Plus, we have some Miazga, uh, Cameron Carter's Vickers. You know, John Brooks will still be available at that time. We got to find a goalkeeper. But, you know, there are some young players on the United States team. And what this World Cup has taught me is that I really hope the United States has the bravery to really let their young players play. That they will just, it, it's not that you're too young to succeed at a World Cup. You just send your best players, regardless of their age, regardless of their experience level, and you just see what happens. England, no one expected them to do anything, but here they are. They're in the, they were a semifinalist. They came in fourth. France was the second youngest team. Nigeria was much better than they have ever been, even though they didn't get out of the group stage. They were playing amazing football, and they were also really defensively sound. They have a really cool team that could also be really good in 2022. Japan should have a younger team by then. South Korea should probably, you know, they're, they're a little bit in a mess right now, but they have some younger players that were playing in La Masia in Barcelona, and they're starting to get some more experience. And, you know, there's a lot of young players in these smaller or, you know, smaller confederations that don't have the same kind of talent as Europe, but I think in Qatar 2022, Europe's dom- dominance is going to end. It's just, I think there's a lot of young talent that's going to be more prepared they're going to be ready to go and it's also going to be a strange world cup with weird temperatures it's going to be played in november instead of uh, in the summer so i'm, I'm really excited for that I'm, i think this european dominance is going to go away even though uh they were the only semi-finalists this year and of course the finalists i guess i could see that I think the U.S. should be. I mean, the U.S. obviously needs to qualify, but first we got we got to win the Women's World Cup in France next summer, yeah. which I am pumped for. It's going to be a great tournament. France trying to become the first nation to do the double and have the Men's and Women's World Cup at the same time. Uh, it's never happened before, and what a what a year it would be. What a two years would be for France to win back to back World Cups, men's and women's. So we got we got that to look forward to. But Timothy Way and Christian Pulisic could be a dynamic duo by the time we get to Qatar. But the U.S. has got to get the job done in the Gold Cup next summer. They got to perform well in 2021, also at the other Gold Cup. You got to win at least one of those tournaments, preferably the one next summer, because then you see yourselves in the Confederations Cup in 2021 and the U.S. needs to just play in more international tournaments. And, yeah, the managers at the 2018 tournament proved I'm going to take the best players that played in the club season. I'm not going to take based on reputation. Garrett Southgate didn't take Jack Wilshere. He took, you know, Alexander Arnold had a great season with Liverpool. Jesse Lingard had a great season with Manchester United. Some players that might not be considered the 23 best players in England right now. Even France, you look at the snubs that they had. Lacazette, Martial, Benzema, big snubs for this French team that, you know, Payet, key guys on the squad at Euro 2016. Benzema wasn't there, but Martial um, and... Payet were two very important players for France at Euro 2016, and Deschamps didn't take them. He took Dembele, he took Mbappe, he took Lamar. They didn't play a lot. Mbappe did, obviously, but the managers really proved. You got to take the players who had the best club seasons, who earned their spot. Don't just pick on reputation, even if guys are injured. Um, and that, this tournament proved it, and I think managers are going to do that in 2022. We need to see who the U.S. manager is going to be in Qatar. That's going to determine a lot. I have no idea who it could be. Maybe Arsene Wenger, probably not. Maybe Sam Allardyce, probably not. Also, God, I so we not. just we need a manager first. I mean, that's really the biggest thing for the U.S. We need a coach. Well, actually, if you were to pick one coach from one of the teams eliminated in the first round or in the round of sixteen uh, to pick out to become the U.S. MNT uh, manager, who would you pick? Oh God, that's a tough. I'm not picking Sampaoli. That's for sure. 
Um, I'd probably, I mean, it's, it's an obvious answer and there have been rumors floating around, but I would pick Osorio from Mexico. He just seems like the, the type of manager that can inspire their players. I didn't think Mexico were going to play very well at the world cup this time around in Russia, but they looked good in their first two games. And then the last two games, they just didn't do anything. So Osorio would be a nice pick. And I think personally, I thought the best manager at this world cup really, you know, the driving force behind their team doing really well, I felt was Garrett Southgate, slightly ahead of Roberto Martinez. I would love to have Roberto Martinez as a manager. I think he's a great manager. He did so well with Belgium. He just he did make a mistake in the semis playing the same style that he did against Brazil. But there's a lot of managers out there. But I think the U.S. needs to maybe either probably reach for the stars and get themselves a manager who's European. Maybe not someone like Klinsman. Just hope you don't get someone who's like a control freak like Jurgen Klinsman was. But you got to adopt some kind of European style if you're the U.S. You can't rely on an American style to do well because if the U.S. wants to be competitive by the time they host this tournament in 2026, you got to develop some youth. You got to adapt a new style, play more direct, develop better dribblers, develop better, you know, crossers, shooters, all that kind of stuff, because long ball tactics, American tactics is not going to get you far in a World Cup. Yeah, well said. Well, I think we actually, you know, we have the Gold Cup next year. We have a lot of tournaments coming next year. We still got, uh, we're going to have the Copa America in Brazil next year. We're going to have the Africa Cup of Nations. We're going to have the Asian Cup. Uh, it's going to be pretty fun. We're going to lose the World Cup for the next four years, which is incredibly sad. I already feel the emptiness of life creeping in. But we Me still too. have a lot of football that's ahead of us, including, and something that I want to talk about a little bit, the Nations League. Now, UEFA and CONCACAF have adopted this new kind of international calendar uh, competition called the Nations League. Uh, we're not going to get into it like to describe what it is. Obviously, this is not that kind of podcast. But... It's going to be pretty interesting. They're basically going to replace uh, international friendlies with a Premier League-style table uh, competition, which is going to, you know, it's going to be pretty fun. I think CONCACAF is in desperate need of teams playing each other on a more competitive basis and not relying so much on friendlies, which don't really prepare you for the kind of rigors that come from a World Cup match. Teams like Panama, teams like Honduras, teams like... Uh, Cuba or Puerto Rico or any team from the Caribbean is actually going to be able to improve their national team program. And as a, you know, because they're able to pr improve themselves, they're improving the level of competition the United States will face. And that's really important because the United States is in this rebuilding phase. We need to make sure that the USA can actually develop players that are ready to compete on the highest level and even on the lower levels in CONCACAF so that when they go to the World Cup, they're well prepared and then they could actually do something impressive. Um, I'm really excited for the Nations League. Uh, what do you think about it? I'm excited for it too. Uh, the CONCACAF one, I feel, is not going to have as much of an effect as the as the European one because the bottom of CONCACAF compared to the top of CONCACAF, I mean, there is a humongous gap based on, you know, just resources, how many, the population of nations. So I think it'll help improve, you know, the teams that are kind of in the middle, you know, like Honduras, El Salvador, Jamaica, Port, Cuba, these teams that make it to the Gold Cup and like are maybe a quarter finalist or win a group game, I think it'll help them a lot. But CONCACAF is always going to be dominated by the United States, Mexico, and a little bit of Costa Rica. I think the European one, I hope the teams take it seriously because it has the potential to be a really exciting competition and a great way for player and a great way for the international break to be seen as a 
a, an exciting thing. It's like, oh no, the Premier League's not happening this week. What am I going to do with my life? No, you watch the Nations League or you watch, you know, qualifying for the Euros or the World Cup. And I think the UEFA Nations League is going to be really exciting. I mean, France, Germany, and Holland are in a group in League A. France and Germany are opening up League A for that tournament. The two, the last two world champions are playing each other on September the 6th. That's a few, you know, a few weeks away. So I think it's going to be really exciting. And it also offers teams a second chance to qualify for Euro. So if you're a fan of a smaller nation like Romania or Macedonia or even, you know, uh, Georgia, your team has two chances of qualifying for the Euros through qualification, if they don't get it, they could maybe do it through the UEFA Nations League based on winning their group and all that. So I think it's going to be really, really cool. And we're also going to see some really, especially in League A for UEFA Nations League, some awesome European games. I mean, we already got Germany v. France, France v. Holland, Holland v. Germany. Portugal's going to play Italy. England's going to play Spain and Croatia. Uh, Belgium's going to play Iceland. In League B, you got Wales against Ireland. Denmark is in their group too. So being able to see these big European nations play each other almost on a you know a yearly basis is going to be really cool. So it's a nice little uh, reminder that there's still international football other than the World Cup, and it's a nice way to kill time before Qatar 2022. So I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I am too. I think it's going to change the way we look at international football, or at least I, I hope it does. I think it's – I know some people have some skepticism about it, but I think it's going to be really fun and also just give us a little bit of that drip before we get back into the World Cup fever again in four and a half years since it's going to be in November. That's a very strange thing. It's I they, they released the dates for the 2022 World Cup and it's going to be from November 17th or something to December 18th. Uh, you know, that's a little strange. It's going to be right yeah, around just, Thanksgiving and then it's going to end right before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, just think about, you know, especially for American sports fans, you know, Fox, first of all, is going to have to be moving around scheduling because you got the World Cup, you've got the NFL, you know, playoff hunt, including the Thanksgiving Day games. College basketball season is in full swing. You've got the NBA and the NHL going on. The MLS playoffs are going to be happening on Fox, most likely. They, I think they have the rights until, you know, 2022 or further than that. But for the American sports fan, I mean, it's going to be incredible to be able to say, oh, I'm watching a Thanksgiving Day football game during the World Cup. But it's going to be, it's not going to have the same vibe in my opinion i would prefer it if it was in the summer because there's not much happening in sports you can just focus on the world cup but also you know all the people who have you know day jobs and go to work especially because it's in qatar and most of the games will be early in the morning it's going to be tough for them to tune in but i mean i'm not a fan of the fact that it's in qatar and i'm not a fan that it's in the winter but similar to what we saw in 28 and for at this world cup once the games start, you kind of forget about all the hoopla that everyone talked about about the host nation. With Brazil, we saw that. With Russia, we saw that. Even with you know South Korea, Japan, we saw that, and South Africa. So once the games start, it's exciting, and I'm sure I'll be you know I'm gonna have big TV with World Cups, iPad with Thanksgiving Day football, maybe a little college basketball on the side on my computer, and then on my phone I'll have I don't know like uh, NBA. By that time, the Cavs are still gonna be horrible, and LeBron. Probably will still be on the Lakers, maybe with his son, predicting four years into the future. That's what we're doing here yeah. on the road to Moscow. <laughs> but it, it'll be interesting. I would prefer if it was in the summer, but um, it, once the game starts, it's fine because it's the World Cup. It's the best sporting event on the planet. Yeah, it's going to be fun regardless. I mean, obviously, this was the big. This year was the big litmus test. We had a change in broadcasters. We had a change in the type of location where we wanted to watch football. It was in a different time zone. It was going to. The U.S. wasn't in it, and yet 
The World Cup was probably the best it's ever been, the most entertaining, the craziest we've ever seen. So I have high hopes for Qatar 2022. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, regardless of the fact of the terrible things that are happening there and all the bad news surrounding it. But you know what? That's the World Cup. I think that's a good way to kind of end uh, what we, you know, our World Cup kind of fever dream we've experienced for these last, you know, couple months, uh, previewing it and also talking about the games at large. It's been so much fun to do, but I think we should look a little ahead now. What are we going to do now? We don't have any soccer, but wait, of course we do. We have the Premier League season. We have La Liga. We have Serie A. Yeah. We have the EPL. It's coming back. Yeah. It's coming home. It's, well, no, no, it's, no, not, it's, not, it's coming not coming home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the EPL season. Let's let's talk a little bit about the EPL season. Uh, we have a couple French players, a couple World Cup champions coming back. Giroud, of course. Conte, both playing for Chelsea, although, you know, we have some things that we got to talk about with Chelsea. Now, we're obviously going to do... We're going to take probably a little break, but the Top Flight is going to come back with a massive preview series about the uh, the new upcoming EPL season, which is promising to be maybe one of the most interesting we've seen in a long time. Of course, he's had some crazy managerial changes. Arsene Wenger is no longer at Arsenal. He is out. Wenger is, in fact, out. Unai Emery of PSG and Sevilla fame has taken over at Arsenal. Mauricio Zari, uh, the former Napoli coach, is now taking over at Chelsea, replacing Antonio Conte. Uh, hilariously so, even though Conte is probably one of the best coaches in the world. Chelsea has just thrown him away. Manchester United is expected to do much better this season. This is Mourinho's third year at the helm. Usually in his three-year cycles, uh, he really falters on the third year after winning in the second year, and they didn't win in the second year. So you never know. We might have some drama in Manchester. And, of course, Manchester City, the all-conquering superpower that is Manchester City with Pep Guardiola, with this incredible array of young, amazing talent, including Benjamin Mendy, World Cup winner. Um, Tell me, you know, what are you excited about for this upcoming season? Well, I'm always the most excited for Premier League season after World Cup because right now my mind is saying, okay, I got to play FIFA for three weeks straight because I want to watch soccer. I'm just going to play FIFA for three weeks. And then August 10th, we're going to see Man U play Leicester. It's going to be like, yes, the Premier League's back. So excited to watch some good soccer. I mean, the International Champions Cup will offer a nice alternative. That starts up uh, next week. It's going to be plenty of coverage in that. Big, All six of the big Premier League teams will be playing. But I'm really excited to see you know, the Man- how the Manchester clubs do because I would love to see Pogba and Lukaku build this incredible chemistry that makes United back into an incredible team. Love to see what Liverpool do with Shakiri now. See if Salah can respond to that remarkable season he had last year and have another great year. Can West Ham and all their signings improve in their big stadium? What can Unai Emery do in his first year at Arsenal with all the new players like Bernd Leno, Lucas Torreira, Socrates, a lot of good others, Stefan Licksteiner, Riyad Mahrez on Man City. Does that take them over the hump as a Champions League winner? Can Tottenham finally win a trophy? with their team that they don't change and their manager Mauricio Pochettino what will Chelsea do with their new manager but also how are the new teams going to do Fulham is an incredible story Ryan Sessegnon is going to come in as one of the best young players in the league um, owner shot Khan shout out to U of I Illinois alum maybe moving Fulham to Wembley he was trying to purchase the rights there you know what's Fulham going to do what are Wolverhampton Wonders going to do how's Cardiff going to do and all of these stories what's Everton's uh, mix you know no more Wayne Rooney but Marco Silva is their manager and winning a 22-0 friendly to start means they're going to win the, the title just kidding 
But it's going to be a great season. I can't wait. I mean, world football in general. The, prim- the Premier League is, you know, the most easily accessible league in America. But it's going to be interesting. What happens in La Liga without Ronaldo? What happens to Serie A with Ronaldo? Does Juventus get even better and easily win that trophy? What's going to happen in the Champions League with Ronaldo on Juve? And first time for Barcelona. Messi does not have Iniesta or Xavi because Iniesta's gone. What's PSG going to do with a newly powered World Cup winning Kylian Mbappe and Edinson Cavani in the mix too? Is the Bundesliga really horrible? Yes, because Bayern Munich's going to win by 40 points. Are they a legit contender? Is Robert Lewandowski a true superstar after a really terrible World Cup? All these questions are going to be answered throughout the year. It's a it's a, it's a daily thing. Football is a year-round sport. That's what makes it so amazing. Cannot wait for the Premier League season, but it's nice. We'll get we'll get some preseason games in the International Champions Cup. That'll be fun. We'll get some Premier League. We'll get Champions League. We'll get the UEFA Nations League. So much football to come. Can't wait for it, but I'm still going to be World Cup deprived for at least the next two weeks, maybe more. I'm really upset. It's based, I'm basically thinking, oh, God, the next four years, I'm just patiently just sitting around like, oh, the Super Bowl's on. It's not the World Cup. Oh, the World Series is on. It's not the World Cup. Champions League final. Nope. It's not the World Cup. Yeah, I got to feel you on that one. I'm very excited for this upcoming season. You know what? Before we go, uh, give me your top four for the Premier League. Just, just right now without even looking at any of the players or anything like that. Just give me your top four. If I had to pick a top four, yep. uh, this is going to change a lot once the transfer window ends. But right now... First, I'll go City. I'll put United second, Spurs third, and Arsenal fourth. Wow, no Liverpool. I don't think... I think Liverpool's going to be really good. I think Keita and Fabinho are going to be awesome for Liverpool. I feel that Unai Emery is going to make a big difference for Arsenal. If they get one more good player, I think they're going to go over the edge. But I also think that it's going to be really hard for Liverpool to succeed if those three guys, Salah, Mane, and Firmino, don't have the kind of seasons they had last year. And duplicating a season like Salah had is basically impossible. If he did it, that would be incredible. But I think it's really difficult. So right now, I would put Liverpool as fifth, Chelsea as sixth, Arsenal fourth. I'm always high on Arsenal before the season starts. So I'll say that now. This will probably change by the time we get to August 9th before Mm -hmm. day one. I would pick City first, Liverpool second. Chelsea third, and Arsenal fourth, because I'll never pick Tottenham over Arsenal. Never. But uh, I think I think Liverpool is going to do pretty well. And I think Chelsea with Mauricio Saudi are going to be incredible, even if they sell Hazard. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, we're going to go over all these teams. You know, we are not going away. This podcast is not going away, as we mentioned earlier. We're going to preview all the teams in the Premier League this season. We have a great team of writers that we're going to talk to, a great team of people on fansided.com that we're going to talk to as well that are going to give us some in-depth analysis on all the Premier League teams, everything that's going to happen this season. Every, everything you want to know, we're going to know it, and we're going to tell you all about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited to do this. I'm sad about the World Cup ending. I'm sad about finishing this specific Road to Moscow series. It's been a lot of fun to do. It was great you know, previewing all the 32 teams. It was great going through the group games. It's been great going to the round of 16, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final. It's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. It's been wonderful to have everybody here listen. It's been great to just do this, watch, and experience. And I think on that note, we're going to end today's podcast, the final podcast of the Top Flight's Road to Moscow series. Um, Thank you so much, Ori, for doing this with me. It's been great doing it with everybody that's been involved in this podcast. And uh, I think that's I think I'm, I'm going to start crying. So we're going to have to we're going to have to move on. But thank you so much, guys. This has been great to do. And uh, we're going to see you soon.
All right. You got any last words, Ori? Time for the reboot. Road to Moscow done. Reboot. It's now the just the Top Flight Podcast. Tune in. <laughs> I love it. All right. See you guys. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.